Anyone getting a sense of deja vu? Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark left into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of F1 in Review. I'm Tom Claibon and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt as we look back to the season opener of this season, the Bahrain Grand Prix and look forward to some degree to round 2 of this season, this being the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And we start at the very front of the grid when it comes to the Sunday chequered flag and we start with Verstappen and Red Bull. So looking at them, Sergio Perez, the constructor, it's a 1-2 for them. Uh, they qualify like this, finish like this since the first time the constructor of Red Bull have finished in 1-2 since 2013. So we're looking at a decade there. So Tristan, it's fairly, I'd say, safe to say it's been a seamless weekend for the Red Bull team, do you think? Seamless? Absolutely. You could, it couldn't be a better weekend for them if they tried, really. And the end, the car, it's just the car's brilliant. Max is the top of this game. Perez was pretty slick. I saw a really interesting uh, thing, which was... Red Bull confirmed that they asked both drivers at the end of the race to turn down their engine performance mm. because they were a second or so faster than anyone else. Oh, I might as well turn it down. It, it reminded me of the Mercedes total dominance era um, of years gone by. And just when we thought we'd exited from that, here comes yeah. the raging bulls to, uh, to put us all in our place and demonstrate why they won the constructors last year and perhaps how they will win the constructors this year. But you know, Tom, looking at this race as a mm. whole, yeah, it's 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 too early to be disappointed by the season. And actually, I think we we as people very much used to this idea of total dominance because we had you know, four years of 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 Sebastian Vettel and his dominance. Yep. Then we yeah. had the Lewis Hamilton Mercedes years, and now you know we've got two to three years, depending on how you want to count it, of dominance from Red Bull. Um, mm. We're very much used to dealing with a season like this. And if you ignored if you ignored the front two, what we actually had was an incredible race. So <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. So that we fight did. for third position. So just ignore the others. Ignore <laughs> Ben Stabber and Perrett. Just take that out of your mind and focus on what was an absolute incredible race when it came to battles, performance. So I'm just saying, Twitter out there, I'm, I'm pointing basically at you at this point. All mm. is not lost. The season's not over. Don't worry, we're going to stay and cover it. But just we we may shift our focus from the mm. top step of the podium and the second step of the podium, and maybe focus at who's coming in third, fourth, and uh, fifth, and even actually who's fighting for the last point in tenth place. So you know, I think mm. I think I just wanted to get that off my chest, Tom, if that's all right, before we uh, dive into Verstappen. But the the reality <laughs> that sounds a bit weird actually, dive into Verstappen. But hey, we're going mm. with it. Um, but the reality is. He couldn't really done any more if he tried. They Red Bull was so fast that they they kept Verstappen on the tires, the soft tires, for longer than anyone else, and just went, "I'll oh, stick him on hard after that." Mm. And it was a bit of a different strategy to everyone else, but they're so fast they can basically do what they want. We predicted this, didn't we, last week when we when I think I said and you said and Angus said that Verstappen was going to win this race and perhaps predicted him to win the uh, drivers championship so unfortunately it looks like our predictions are starting to come true i mean maybe not the bold predictions we'll wait and see <laughs> uh tune into last week's episode if you want to hear our bold predictions mm. um but i don't think either the red bulls could do any more max is at the peak of his performance in a car that seems to at the moment be the front runners although we'll find out soon how the penalty for wind tunnel time actually impacts the red bulls going later on into the season 
Yes, there's a good point that actually, because many people are saying, well, weren't Red Bull meant to be penalised for breaching the cost cap regulations of last year? Yes, but I suppose we're not going to see that pay dividends until the other teams start to develop, the lack of development that Red Bull have moving forward. So if you want to go and look at this in a positive spin, maybe this is as far apart as Red Bull and the rest of the pack get from one another in terms of disparity and in terms of distance, really. I mean, it is quite depressing looking at the stats where you see 38 seconds between between Verstappen in first and then Alonso in third place. But hey, live in hope. We were back here, I believe, uh, when it came to Bahrain last season where Ferrari blew every other competitor out of the way once Red Bull had um, had a few reliability issues. So in that regard, not all hope is lost in many aspects. And um, I do think that George Russell's comments, uh, no doubt you've seen them, Tristan, saying that um, Red Bull will win every race and the championship (laughs) is already sewn up is hyperbolic at best, really. That sounds like something you or I would say this time last year because it is just so early in the season and things can go horribly wrong. The reliability issues of Red Bull prior can return and Ferrari can up their game and Aston Martin, as we'll get on to, could improve further. Mercedes could join as well because... Once you look away from Red Bull, as you say, it's so congested in terms of who's going to get P2 in the constructors, let alone P2 in the drivers as well, if Sergio Perez comes into a few issues there. But um, yes, it was quite domineering. And I think looking at testing in Bahrain and uh, the amount of practice they had there, I would be shocked if we hadn't have seen such a result because I often think it's a bit weird to have testing in one place, then go to the same Grand Prix at that place and not really move because in many ways you're forecasting what's going to happen a few weeks you know going forwards before so I get it from a sort of environmental logistical standpoint but from a a pure racing standpoint not really the best way to open the season but um yeah aside from a few technical issues Max had a great Grand Prix and I didn't know this Tristan but um the first time he's won at Bahrain which surprises me did that surprise you at all Uh, yeah I didn't know that either and looking back you see how unfortunate it is that give that they didn't win last year so it's always been something of a, of a problem track for Max, and clearly they they got over it that this time. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really listen to those saying it's over already. I mean, to be honest, look at Ferrari last year and how how yeah. they got that uh, double podium perfect start, and everyone went, "Oh my god, this is Ferrari's year." Now clearly there are some differences. Red Bull tries less to sabotage itself than Ferrari does, <laughs> but but. Mm. I think we can start calling it if there's 23 tracks to this season, 23 races in total, plus the sprints. Mm-hmm. I would say that if Max wins eight back-to-back, then we can start getting a better picture of whether or not it's just going to be a ridiculously dominant season for, for Red Bull. Mm-hmm. But we will see the, the penalty bite a little bit more. And as other teams try to catch up, then we'll find out what that Red Bull ceiling actually is. Because... Mercedes, for example, counted on Red Bull's performance ceiling being much lower than it apparently is, but no one's really sure how far they can develop the car. So mm-hmm. it, all we can say is is at, at this track, the first race with everything going their way, yeah, they're pretty dominant, but we don't know how they're gonna how it's gonna work once they go to, for example, Saudi Arabia, which is the next track. It's a very mm-hmm. much different style of of track, and it's much less tire degradation as well. Yeah. The Shropshire Stone, that's really hard to say, <laughs> um, on the uh, track in Bahrain is quite aggressive, very grippy. Um, whereas the, the track material they use in Saudi Arabia is a little less hard, it's a little less attacky on the tyres, it destroys them at a much slower rate. And so we don't know how, how the other teams are going to perform there. And that was part of the reason why the other teams struggled a bit this, um, this weekend was because they were having to manage those tyres and it really did destroy the tyres. I mean, Mercedes really struggled on the tyres and that's, mm-hmm. you know, destroyed their tyres much quicker than they were expecting. Red Bull just happened to have that better degradation and so did Aston Martin, actually. They also had um, better degradation too. And speaking of Red Bull, Tom, I don't know if you kept up to date with Helmut, um, Dr. Helmut Marco's comments because they're no, always a fun one to... to to look at um <laughs> he says that uh, several engineers left red bull for aston martin i think we all we all knew that happened and mm-hmm. uh, they all have very good memories so whenever we need something mm. just a little bit of a uh, spice but passive aggression in the paddock just to have marco so yes dan dan fellows i think is one of the en- lead engineers at red bull that went to aston martin and brought with him some expertise and knowledge along the way um but clearly it's not enough to make that red bull uh well have a disadvantage 
and I'm being competitive compared to Aston Martin. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm still in shock, surprised and stunned the fact that I'm about to read out that Aston Martin are P2 in the constructors and seemingly the biggest competitive Red Bull as stands. I mean, granted, we're only one race and we're, we're, you know, one of 23 down. So there's a long way to go. But yeah, P3 for Alonso from P5, P6 for Stroll as well. Shout out, shout out to Stroll as well. Uh, granted, when we consider that he had to go into this without testing uh, as other drivers have had at their disposal and also with so many pins in his his wrist as well owing to the uh, recovery he's having to do after that horrible crash he had when he was cycling so to go from p8 to p6 for him is incredibly good considering he also crashed into his teammate as well so um oh, he's yes. ticking all the boxes really there but um tristan if you were to call it now do you think that aston martin are the biggest threat that red bull will face this season or is this more just a flash in the pan do you think no i think the the biggest threat they've got um all season comes from ferrari because mm. Ferrari were, I think, in a better position to challenge for third place. And it was unfortunate that Leclerc's engine decided he didn't fancy making it to the end. Um, but there's no getting away from the, the amount of performance boost that the Aston Martin has had. And mm. it's, a, it's a sort of a double threat because, firstly, they've got the Mercedes power unit. And we know that it is famously reliable. And famously well engineered and fast so that's really good uh, fingers crossed that continues uh, but secondly the other threat they've got happens to be for, well a two-time world champion and man that seems never to need to retire in a fernando alonso who shows absolute class this weekend it just fantastic i'm just so excited to see hamilton and alonso fighting those those sort of two laps when Alonso was catching Hamilton and then they were fighting to get get into position. Oh, mm. it reminded me of the sort of the classic Formula One races. I think of growing up and brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It was nice to see Alonso making a good career choice move at the moment. You know, hopefully long that continues. But I also really want to pay tribute to Lance Stroll because we. We do mock him a little bit, don't we, Tom? We do, we do. We, yeah. we like to poke fun. And it's easy to poke fun because it's... Well, it's easy. But <laughs> it's also important that... We, uh, that I, I think we, we say that I, I, I think Lance did a fantastic job. And I've actually broken my arm before. I've broken my wrist. And Oof. I would never have been able to drive a Formula 1 car. I, I, mean, I can cycle. <laughs> you, know, mm. you know, just to put... I couldn't do anything with my wrist. Fancy getting into a car, driving it... 200 miles an hour with the lateral g-forces they go through and a broken toe and a broken toe yes yes and managing to pump out a, a sixth place alonso called him his hero and to be honest i think we all need a little bit of lance stroll in us because apparently he has the grit and determination that that he needs and yes i mean this is i think we're talking about a very very different lance stroll to the stroll that came into the sport because when he mm. did come into a sport he was a bit of a meme and he yep. did kind of represent everything that was wrong with that period of Formula One when it was entirely about money and less about talent. And it was very frustrating to us fans. But he did a really good job this weekend. He he has a little bit of a way to go, I think. It's, it's not, mm. you know, not all without criticism. I think, do you think he's going to have to calm down a bit playing with Alonso? Because... Well, what do you think? Do you think Alonso is going to be consistent, consistently in front of Stroll this this season? I'd be really surprised if Stroll were to go and beat uh, Alonso on more than five occasions, uh, to put it plain. I think you're, you're speaking probably about two, three times maybe, where let's say there's reliability issues, there's issues with traffic, qualifying a whole range of issues but if you were to go and put them in the same car in the same circumstances if you will then I think nine times out of ten if not more Alonso's going to go and beat Stroll because ultimately you can see why he's a double world champion why he remains in the sport in his latter years and why Aston Martin really wanted to get him over to their side of the garage away from Alpine because he's brought no doubt quality and experience to that car I was sceptical shall we say when he moved there first there would be a McLaren 2.0 situation where it would be Team Fernando and Stroll wouldn't really get a look in and the car would be fine for him but perhaps not great for the overall team and lacking shall we say as it was in the sort of mid-2010s but 
Obviously not. I mean, so far, so good, really. It remains to be seen how this car performs throughout the season in terms of keeping pace with the Ferraris, the Mercedes, Red Bull, even how it performs as well in the street circuits, environments of, let's say, Monaco, for example, or Hungary. But the impressions I got, really, from... When Alonso was on there on the podium, when there were photographs being taken of him and the rest of the team, it was very much, we want this to be a commonplace, normal situation. Us picking up trophies, albeit third, getting close to the, the top step of the podium, being up there, getting a double points finish in terms of both drivers every single week. Did, did that come across to yourself as well, Tristan? Because they seem like they really do mean business and are looking to be title contenders moving forwards as a, a commonplace, really. Well, every team wants to be a title contender. <laughs> Whether or not they'll actually get there is a is another matter, and it's 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 really frustrating because I think certainly they they have a, a car that could fight for the contender and and take the championship, but so many things have to align, and this is mm. this is the frustration when you look at brilliant drivers because for every driver that wins the season, and this is going to sound like a Will Buxton line there are 19 <laughs> other drivers that don't but each one of them is immensely talented you know and you think well if if it hadn't been for max verstappen last year look look maybe would have won mm. oh yeah well that's you know pretty logical then right and and mm-hmm. you know Leclerc is definitely championship material he's in a ferrari but unfortunately the stars just didn't align his way maybe it's some really? bad luck and and oh, the year before with Hamilton versus Max Verstappen, I mean, Max nearly cost himself the championship by mm-hmm. making silly mistakes throughout the season. If you look back at the season, if he decided not to crash out, for example, at, at Monza, mm. he would have been able to wrap it up in a much yeah. simpler manner without all the controversies. And so sometimes you do make your own fate and sometimes I think you don't. And for lots of drivers and lots of teams, you get so close, but you, you're never quite there. It's bad luck that you just never quite got there. So, they, yeah, they definitely want to be. But I, I don't think Aston Martin will be able to take the championship. Definitely not this year. Now, mm. what's going to be really interesting is is how the other factors come into come into play, especially with Red Bull being unable to develop the car properly. Because yeah. if you said to me... Well, let's take Red Bull out of the picture. Let's imagine for a moment that they can't develop the car properly and they lose lose some, some speed to both Ferrari and Aston Martin. If you said to me, do I think Aston Martin or Ferrari could win the championship? I would find that much more difficult because, well, you remember what happened last year with Ferrari. So mm. I think some things have to go their way and in quite a dramatic fashion. But maybe going into next year, especially as they've really nailed the car performance this year, they may well be up there to, to challenge more for first place. But so many things have to go in the right direction. But, you know, we might be talking about Mercedes in the same way. At the moment, though, I think it's only Ferrari. I think only Ferrari at this present time will be able to challenge in for speed um, and all-out driver performance. I just, I just I can't see it for Aston Martin at the moment. It's really good to be talking about them in this way and you know long may it continue and to some extent i think they have the, the right driver now with fernando alonso i would agree and i think despite ferrari's reliability issues when it came to Leclerc and uh, ultimately signs being overtaken by a fellow spaniard in alonso they seem fairly confident moving forwards despite this this hiccup if you will they say that um if Leclerc hadn't have retired then alonso wouldn't have overtaken him and they would have secured themselves a, a p3 been on that podium and some good points a double points finish for them so it seems that despite some really early reliability issues Leclerc having to replace his power unit already before the race and seemingly some more parts needed after as well that Ferrari aren't sort of I suppose taking this one lying down but then again I suppose if you're a Ferrari fan if you're a Formula 1 fan you expect Ferrari to be P2, P3 at the very least so you know fighting for the championship is more where you want them to be but seemingly Red Bull have stolen March on them so I think consolidating P2 has to be the number one aim but we go to another big team that's already underperforming Mercedes once again struggling we knew they struggled a fair bit in practice and testing weren't up to where they were seasons gone by if you take away last season for example 
weren't living up to, let's say, the Brazilian Grand Prix or the British Grand Prix of last season, where they're fighting at the top. And um, seemingly now they're fighting for P3 in the constructors. And Toto Wolf saying the no pods design is basically for the birds and a plan B is needed. Our thoughts on that, Tristan? Yeah, plan plan B definitely needed. It sounds like Ferrari, doesn't it? You know, we're going to plan B, plan B. Uh, plan C, yeah, pretty bad. And actually, Aston Martin, do you remember last last year they came out with a, a design and basically after the first race has scrapped it, said, look, we've got another one yeah. baking in the oven. We're going to bring that yeah. now. And Toto Wolff admitted as much this weekend. And he said, um, there was not a single positive thing we can take from this race. We're lacking pace. The drivers have to push and that's hurting the tyres. Red Bull is on another planet. Aston Martin has the second quickest car. It was a real wake-up call for us. Um, another quote Oof. from Toto Wolff was, <laughs> and this is a real backhanded compliment, but Red Bull <laughs> is half the car of us and half a second quicker, which <laughs> I was like, oh, that's really savage. But also, uh, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's true. So yeah, total redesign of the car. What what they'll go to, I, I'm not sure. And how they're going to actually fit that into their development program. Again, only Mercedes can tell us that. But that's going to be a radical change. I, mm. I, I don't need, do they do you think they have enough wind tunnel time that they could actually do that, or do you think they're just going to basically copy an Aston Martin in a turn of complete irony? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's something not too dissimilar to that. I can see that them they can put sort of tweaks around the edges, if you will, to their current design and do something like that. But I fail to see how they can literally bring a brand new car out uh, early on in the season. If they were to go and do it after the summer break, that's far more plausible because you've obviously got that huge gap. And I suppose the two-week gap we have between now and Saudi Arabia is helpful in that regard. But I'm very doubtful to see if they can do some serious upgrades to that car. I know that there was uh, rumours of some being ready for similar with their current no positive design but Toto Wolff saying no ignore that we need a complete overhaul start from scratch if you will with this car so I think it's going to be a bit of a yeah taking inspiration from others type situation for Mercedes which if you were to say that to me let's say a season two seasons three seasons four seasons ago I'd say no there is no way in this world that Mercedes have got it so wrong twice and are now saying let's go and bin this off and go to plan b so well it seems like panic's almost setting in incredibly early with mercedes and i look at this car and i sort of think i can see why they're panicking i can see why they're nervous with the threat of aston martin added on to ferrari but this car seems to be dare i say more competitive than the car was this time last year in terms of its pace in terms of its uh competitive its competitive nature um but seemingly no uh, toto wolf isn't happy and i do feel for hamilton now because he is i mean i don't feel for him that much he's a seven time world <laughs> champion but um he's done very well <laughs> so, he's done very well he's not exactly the most unlucky man in formula one but moving forwards if he is going to get that eighth world championship he is very much at the mercy of his once formidable team in my view because dare i say once again they've let him down how many years does he have left at the top of his game with a team pulling in the right direction of him do, do you fear for hamilton as well do you think another season down the drone if you will fighting for the various championships uh, if you will seemingly very early doors is going to go and mean that well an eighth championship officially is more unlikely now than it was let's say two seasons gone by well he's 38 and look let's benchmark it against Alonso and Alonso is now I think by every metric this is what I heard every metric the most experienced driver ever in Formula One um mm. Which is a pretty impressive stat. I mean, that's all you know, length of time metrics. So, and his, uh, I saw there uh, the F one official uh, posts from this weekend with them all ha- holding up like first day at school cars. It was like, hello, I'm uh, Fernando Alonso, and this is my twenty twenty second season of Formula One, which is absolutely nuts. Twenty second. I mean, blimey, I'm only twenty five. So mm. he's been in the sport almost my entire life, which is absolutely nuts. Um, and mine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. So I think Hamilton knows that he can stay in the sport as long as he feels comfortable being there. Mercedes aren't going to get rid of him because no. even even if Russell starts exceeding Hamilton's performance, Hamilton holds his own to everybody. And that's... Mm. That's just a fact. And even if you're not a fan of Hamilton, I think you have to concede that the talent that we see from Hamilton and his, his racing 
racecraft, his ability to think not only what he's doing, but what everyone else is doing around him, his 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 feedback on the car as well. And also, let's not face it, it brings in money. And that's mm. something that Mercedes will value way more than anything else. And and rookies won't really bring that in. And so I think he will be in Mercedes as long as, as he wants to be. I don't know how how many more chances he will give it to win the world championship, yeah. especially after the 2021 season felt, I think, for him was so disheartening. And it will hurt even more because that was the last time Mercedes were competitive for the Drivers' Championship and they won the Constructors' mm-hmm. Championship. And mm-hmm. and so there's always going to be that, that blanket feeling, which is, this was rigged, rigged against me. And everyone would feel like that. I, I would feel like that, Tom. If if that happened to me, I feel like this is yeah. against me. Then you know, just they made the wrong choices. And yes, fine. Michael Massey, the um, race director, did end up being removed from the sport. But that well, that's not retribution, really. Let's face it. For, for Hamilton, no. that's just no, no. a result. So I, I don't know how many years he'll give it, but I think he'll stay for a little bit longer. George Russell's an interesting thing though as well because he's he's completely committed to mercedes at this point mm. how long do you think he'll give it and also why did both drivers stick with the and, and not make it more vocal that fundamentally the car last year wasn't good and mm. maybe isn't going to be good this year I, I struggle to see why mercedes stuck with the same poor design two years in a row Agreed, yeah. There was no doubt that the, the no positive design, if you will, did show some green shoots moving forward to the end of last season. But was that enough to really convince them it was worth another go from the get-go when everyone else was doing, well, basically the opposite? I'm not convinced, no. And I do feel for George Russell as well because he's finally got himself uh, a seat at the Mercedes garage, if you will, one of the top teams, a chance to go and fight for a championship in the near future and also for a constructors. And that seemingly dare I say, not going to happen anytime soon because they seem to me, Mercedes, a team to be kind of in the wilderness now to go and make themselves uh, do the same mistake twice, you know, two seasons in a row, I think is... Ah, it's, it's borderline unforgivable, really, for a top team. And to go and see someone like Aston Martin who, let's be fair to themselves, they are related to Mercedes. They are, dare I say, or were at least, a, a junior team to some degree in terms of Mercedes powering them and the relationship they had there. Now they've jumped them and they've done so by just hiring in, I say just, but by hiring in Fernando Alonso and by uh, doing a bit of a shake-up in the paddock as well. They've lost James Vowles. He's gone over to Williams. So it seems the the golden era for Mercedes is coming to an end. And I, I am concerned about the sort of dare I say, decadence which is setting in really, why no one sort of rung the alarm bells in the very early days saying this is not good enough, this is not what we should be doing and we need to go and do something different because all the right noises were coming out of that same garage when things were going horribly wrong in their sort of mid part of last season. So I don't understand why they were quietened down or didn't or weren't so vocal should I say when it came to the most important part of the season that being designing a car because anyone who watches Drive to Survive will know quite clearly from the dialogue there that nine tenths of it is the car you make and I think the Mercedes have really missed a beat there and um, yeah they're now fighting for third place could be fourth place which is a step back really from last year but owing to shall we say Red Bull doing so well from the get-go Aston Martin coming into it and Ferrari holding their own so a lot of question marks, I'd say, personally. What about you? Do you concur with that? Yeah, I do. And this was the worst start to the season than last last year. And last Just, year, yeah, yeah. we were all sitting here thinking, oh, this is a pretty terrible start for Mercedes. I said, I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not an engineer and definitely not an aero engineer either. But I just can't help but think they missed a mark when it came to the critical analysis of their performance. And I know that from from interviews they've we've we've had with Toto and and the other uh team members and some of the engineers they all believed that that the no pos design had a higher threshold in terms of performance but you know it, it, there's always that thing right so when you when you walk out somewhere let's say you go to a party and you you turn up and you're the only one dressed in a suit and everyone else <laughs> around yeah. you is dressed up as like characters from films and tv you look at it and you think, oh, fancy dress. 
right? You think, <laughs> oh, I stick out a bit here. Maybe something's mm. not right. And there's always mm. this little niggling feeling. We're really good at that, humans. We're really good at that uncanny valley. Things don't feel right. And it's like Mercedes had that alarm bell, as you said. Thought, blimey, something's not right here. No one else has done the no-pod design. And instead of looking at it critically and thinking, well, we've had a bad season of this. Maybe it's not the way forward. I feel like they ignored it because they are so used to thinking outside the box and getting it so right. And there is a naivety that comes with that. They've had some incredible innovations, but not every innovation will be a winner. And for every every three or four or five, maybe you stick on the car that'll do something good. Another one may not help you at all. And I just think they may have overcommitted. At least Aston Martin last year had the sense to scrap their design pretty early mm. on and, and keep going. But as you say, it's maybe maybe it just can't work. And and the other thing is, you know, these these aerodynamic concepts may work really well when it's computer modelled, or it may work really well simulated. But when it when it's you know you're in real conditions when the track is at weird temperatures when you have winds coming in that you just never really expected when you have a combination of factors you never quite expected when you're running behind a car which has a different aero package to you or even when humans are trying to control it you never yeah. quite know whether or not it's going to be as good as you expect and we know this is true because I do you remember the Singapore lap qualifying when Lewis Hamilton got a faster lap than mercedes thought was theoretically possible yes yes right? yeah, i do remember that well one. that's the opposite in the in a great way they simulated the car as 2018 2019 said mm-hmm. oh yeah we think you can get x time and hamilton beat it well maybe it's gone the other way this time they've simulated it and fundamentally the the, the drivers can't drive it hmm I'd agree, I'd agree, and it doesn't get much better really for another Mercedes team, McLaren. Oh dear, five stops to Lando Norris, P17 for him, a DNF for Piastri. It seems, Tristan, that all the alarm bells, shall we say, from testing, from practice, and really the start of the season are ringing true for this team. Yeah, I know we, we, we said from um, in this segment, we'll just pick out a few winners and losers. Can we, can we talk about the, one of the biggest winners is Daniel Ricciardo? Does that count? <laughs> Yeah, why not? It makes sense, absolutely. Yeah, being paid 20-odd million not to drive a McLaren. Um, I'm also, as a McLaren fan, this hurts me, but I'm also up for that deal. I will also not be paid 20 million not to drive your car. Um, Not because I don't want to, but just because I can't. Uh, But, yeah, absolute disastrous start, right? For, For them having to, well, having to retire Piastri pretty on early on, because they had a, a problem with his steering wheel, they said, and then it just conked mm-hmm. out. My favourite bit watching it was the fact that they rebooted the steering wheel that came up with a little McLaren holding screen. Um, oh, yes. Which yeah, I like, yeah. like, just to confirm you are in the McLaren, I expected the Windows loading screen to pop up. I'm not going to lie when they plugged it in, but <laughs> alas not. And then, and then to add insult to injury, Lando Norris' his pneumatic system kept draining of air. I, I mean, get on McLaren for not actually retiring the car and sticking to the end just to prove a point. But... If I was them, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have done a double DNF and save the engine. But I mean, I, I guess it's valuable data. I don't know. What what, mm. what do you think, Tom? Do you think this is again bad, worse start from this year than last year? Is McLaren on a on a on a downward spiral? And also, as a follow on question to that, because I think I feel mm. like I've done my fair share of talking for the last yeah. ten minutes. Um, Piastri, bad move to move to ditch Alpine for McLaren and. Do you think he'll stick with them for very long if this continues? Well, seemingly, yes. If you're looking at this uh, race in isolation, you've got Alpine have got themselves two points. Granted, you had the, the Ocon situation there, but they're seemingly doing a lot better in their overall package. And indeed, with the constructors' table, uh, the McLaren iron, it's not too dissimilar, really, to George Russell moving to Mercedes. Good young driver, goes to a team that's doing well at the wrong time when they're sort of going down, if you will. We spoke so much about Fernando Alonso. It seems that there's younger drivers in the sport. They're now suffering the same fate as him where they go to a team thinking it's a good idea, everyone's saying, marvellous idea, the logic's saying, yep, you should definitely go there, and then when they get there, things unfortunately don't go their way. And it seems that McLaren may well have peaked when it came to 2021, when you had Lando Norris fighting for the win at Sochi. When you look at the the one-two with Mon- uh, they had at Monza with Daniel Ricciardo there, and people saying they were back, and 
I do feel now McLaren are slipping down and it was very easy in seasons gone by to go, oh, it's Daniel Ricciardo who's the fault. He's way down there in P12, let's say. Meanwhile, Lando Norris is fighting for P6, P5. Get rid of him, that'll be fine. That's not the case now, because obviously we're seeing Piastri struggling with reliability issues. He's now starting on the back foot. Granted, your debut in Formula 1 isn't everything, but it's always better to be a Logan Sargent, for example, to be a Guan Zhou, someone who's fighting for the points or getting points in their first race. It's a good psychological uptick, if you will, personally, and for the team, and it shows everyone why you were good to be hired, to be invested in, to be uh, have faith put in you, if you will. But, um... Regardless of this being Piastri's issue or not, it's not his issue obviously, but he's now starting on the back foot and the team are on the back foot as well because Lando Norris is one of those drivers who we know can really get the best out of seemingly any car in seasons gone by. And last season, for example, with McLaren, they were also having a rough time of it, particularly at the start, particularly at Bahrain. Uh, yet he was able to go and pull out some good finishes, getting on the podium once or twice, getting into the sort of mid-10s, if you will, P5, P6, P7, which many thought was, uh, you know, not impossible to do, but definitely hard to. So if I were to go and look at this from a sort of positive perspective, I'd say, well, McLaren seemingly had an awful start last season and then were able to go and get rid of all the gremlins, if you will, improve their car and do very well. But there's not anything to say from what I've seen so far that they'll necessarily repeat that in spade loads as they did in seasons gone by because A, they've got a rookie, B, Andreas Seidel's gone to... Alfa Romeo, so you've got a new team or a less experienced team or people at the helm being less experienced. And you've got Lando Norris, who understandably isn't too happy about where things are going. And I think now Ricardo is gone, you've got to go and look elsewhere and go, why have things gone so badly? Because McLaren are not a team that's short of money. Granted, not the not the richest, but not the poorest either in terms of investments. They've put a lot of money into their drivers, into design, into new headquarters. And when you look at how well the Aston Martin are doing compared to the downward spiral McLaren seem to be on, you've got to go and point figures somewhere, hire up the hierarchy of the food chain, if you will, and go to someone like Zach Brown and go, what is going on? Why weren't we able to go and hit the basic deadlines to start with in terms of engineering, in terms of making the overall package? And why are we going seemingly down, down, down when there doesn't seem to be a reason for that to happen? So I'm disappointed in McLaren. I think it's going to be a very, very turbulent season for them. They're going to be fighting down there with Alpha Tauri and Williams, dare I say, and maybe even... <laughs> Alpine as well, but I think Alpine are too good for them, but it's going to be a rough season, I think. Do you concur, or can they also make a, a comeback? Not too dissimilar from, I suppose, the transition from Bahrain last season to the rest of the season. Well, there were some upsides from the season. <coughs> uh, there were some upsides from the the race. So, for mm. example, when Lando Norris was eventually lapped by Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso, he actually kept up with that with those two drivers and was happily trying to get close enough to unlap himself and he had every right to try and unlap himself as those two were fighting and even though you know they're going f- flat out so there is performance to be had and and i have complete faith in lando's ability to eke it out but he's not a happy chappy yeah and this was a continuation of the misery that started in testing in fact thinking about it this first race it felt like what we were actually watching was sort of a really long grand prix run from from testing in fact they they finished in the correct order max verstappen sergio Perez, fernando alonso so it was a bit like testing all over again but mclaren just haven't got it right and i wonder do you think andrew seidel left because he knew it was going to be terrible uh, I think, well, if I'm looking at this race in isolation, you'd say yes, but I think he also probably left to go and say, I want a new challenge, I want to be with a team that's on the up. So I think that was part of his thinking, but also I think a career change was part of the reason there. And I think if you look at someone like Alfa Romeo, they, they are doing better, but they're not up there, let's say, with Aston Martin, with Mercedes, with Ferrari, but they're sort of in that middle ground, that really compact midfield with Alpine. I think they'll be probably where they were last season if not a place above but um I wasn't blown away by them so I don't think he he jumped ship necessarily for uh, a sort of you know green green grass and the the gold and the rainbow if you will but what do you make of uh, Alfa Romeo were you surprised by them unsurprised or fairly 
well, you'd expect what happened really for them to to happen as it did. <laughs> well, <laughs> nicely summarised. Um, eighth, <laughs> eighth and P sixteen, kind of a mixed bag there. An odd result, I'd say. On one hand, you've got Valtteri Bottas picking up first points of the season in the first race. Excellent, four points for them. And on the other mm. hand, you've got Alfa Romeo of, of Zhou Guan Yu. And if I'm being brutally honest, I actually don't remember what really either of them did in the race. Mm. I know, I remember watching Bottas lose out, um, have some places taken away from him, and he, he fought very hard. Um, but fundamentally, he just sort of had his own little race. And I don't know, Zhou Guan Yu? nowhere to be seen or and unfortunately it, it, i don't think he could make it work this weekend i mean clearly 16th is not fantastic um but i'm, I'm not sure why i think of where they are at the moment i feel like they are the the, the most middle of the middle group if that makes sense right <laughs> yes, if they yeah, if they that's... finished in p7 i would say that they would be exactly where I thought they would be, uh, you know, roughly seven. Yeah, um, mm. I and I think they may well end up being in seventh. You know, you can imagine Haas, Williams, and then maybe McLaren being behind them, or AlphaTauri. Yeah. Think okay, fair enough. They'll 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 try and bring it to AlphaTauri, uh, and that's about it. Uh, to be fair, they did they did actually try to make a little bit of an impact at the end by pitting Zhou Guan Yu and on the last lap to get him fastest lap to take that fastest lap point away yes from Pierre Gasly clearly they think that they can challenge him maybe yeah, I, I, it's a bit tricky. See them as their biggest rivals I yeah, guess. Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily it. think that's correct though. That okay. their biggest rival is Alpine. I would say actually <laughs> Alvatari is probably their biggest rival. So yeah, not not much of an impact. And, and especially as Zhou Guan Yu, he's not rookie anymore. We're expecting a little bit more from him. So mm. the the coverage for the, for their team was pretty limited. And to be honest, from my perspective, there wasn't really much that happened either. But I think we should talk about the some of the rookies that debuted. Um, we've already touched on poor Oscar Piastri, who didn't yep. really have much of a debut. But should we talk for a second about, I think, t- for me, the most impressive, and that's Logan Sargent. I'd agree. Yep, go for it. Well, uh, let's talk about qualifying, because qualifying, he got a, a time of, of 131.652, which is unimpressive in itself until you realise that Lando Norris, who managed to get 15th place, was got a 131.652. They matched the time. Williams matching the mm. McLaren pace, which unfortunately yeah. meant that that Logan Sargent was removed from qualifying because he, unfortunately, he got 16th. And the way it works in qualifying is the bottom five goes, so that's it. You know, 20 down to 15, and then 15 down to 10, and then the final 10 fight it out. Fortunately, he was in the dropout zone because he got that time second. So Norris got it yeah. first, and then Logan Sargent got it afterwards, and that got him in 16th place. Really, really unfortunate. Especially as in Formula 1, we actually do do actually count the laps to the millionth of a second. It would be nice to see which one was actually faster, but they won't release that. So, who you know, it's a, it's a moot point, really. Um, and then in the race, did a really, really, really good job as well. Uh, had to fight... Um, well, quite hard, I think, for Agreed. that twelfth position, especially as Yuki Tsunoda was on on uh, some better tyres by the end um, in the virtual safety car. They pitted him, allowed him to get past. But for for Williams all round, it was actually a really really good race. Mm, Tenth place for Alexander Albon, first point, and then and then for Logan Sargent, twelfth place. That that's a massive change from last year when we had. Alex Albon in 10th and then his teammate at the time Nicholas Satifi in 18th or something ridiculous like that so yeah what did, what did you make of, of the, the rookie um, of Logan Sargent Tom and also Williams' performance where do you, do you think they are actually a bit of sandbagging going on in testing and are much quicker than they, they led on 
we're all, all I'm going to say when it comes to Williams is your prediction of them finishing P7 uh, in the constructors and my defence of them when it came to testing. It's sort of ringing true when you look at this race in isolation because I was very impressed by them on Saturday and Sunday. And granted, they come from a very low bar. I mean, P10, P9 for the last couple of seasons. You're not expecting a lot and anything above that is seen as a great victory. But they were very good. I mean, it's unlike Williams to have two of their drivers, both drivers, getting so close to getting out of the first qualifying session and as you say only getting put back in there or getting dumped out uh, for the first round shall we say owing to let's say uh, one one race getting exactly the same time is a very well-established and a very good driver in Lando Norris. So very impressed with that. And then also at the race as well, P12 for Logan Sargent in that Williams car. That's a very impressive start or debut for him when it comes to Formula 1 in that car. And nice to see him so close to Alex Albon as well. He's seemingly keeping pace with someone who's been in the sport for quite a long time now, but at Williams now also for a number of years to go and match that or to come very close to matching him on both occasions there when it came to qualifying and indeed the races. Not to be sniffed at at all really. And no, and I don't think I'm alone when I say that going into this season of Formula 1, going into this race, when he was appointed, I wasn't really overwhelmed by the appointment of Logan Sargent. I didn't think, wow, they've really got themselves uh, a great driver to come in and pull them up through the ranks and um, challenge uh, Alex Albon and to go and get them into P7, P6, P8 when it comes to the constructors and to go and potentially score points. That did really cross my mind, but he's exceeding all expectations, beating Nick DeVries as well is the other debutante who finished in the race uh, in that part of the grid anyway so I think yeah a lot of ticks going around Williams' names if uh, I had a red pen and uh, were marking the homework, if you will. It's a question now about whether they can go and repeat this and keep this going when it comes to the street circuits, the ones that aren't so sort of power-heavy, if you will. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of good things coming out of Williams. They surprised me the most and surprised me in a very good way. But as we saw with Guan Yu Zhou, for example, just because you do well in the first race doesn't mean you necessarily do that well moving forwards because it was he that scored his first ever points p10 this time last year and has gone on to have an okay career so far but looking at this Bahrain Grand Prix in 2023 has been underwhelming so consistency is key as is always the case really when it comes to many of these drivers but in terms of bursting onto the scene very impressed very impressed really did you think the sergeant was capable of p12 or like I do you think that he was uh, an addition but nothing more than that really to the grid well remember last last week I I put Williams <laughs> finishing seventh as my bold prediction. Now, of course, that still remains a bold prediction and things have to go oh, yes. very much right for Williams to get seventh place because they would have to overtake three. But if we just dial that back a bit and we look at their the, the alternatives, you know, Haas, maybe, um, mm. that's another team they could beat. Yeah. Alpha, yeah. Alpha Tari, I think they could, they may be able to beat them too. So, eighth position, that that could be quite a realistic target for Williams, especially as they've been on the bottom for so long now, and they just have not been able to make the progress. Maybe there was a bit of sandbagging. Maybe it was just the right conditions at the right time. The fact is, they demonstrated that both team cars could get close to points, and one of them in the points. And there were periods last last year when Alex had that car in very good positions and you know Latifi was nowhere to be seen so Mm. given that Sargent's begun by demonstrating he has what it takes and also let's not forget their strategy as well which was very good too they yes they now have it was a real good strategy they were on you know soft soft media uh, soft soft hard sorry um and that that allowed them to get track position and to have a competitive pace and that must be in part perhaps thanks to the that they have now in their uh, um, team principal good old James Vowles from Mercedes and some expertise there so there's a lot of knowledge sharing that's been going around at the moment in terms of the paddock and perhaps Williams needed a little bit to, to go to them and I think through good strategy and through some talent which Alex has, and it looks like Logan Sargent has too, they may be able to get into some good positions. Now, I think we're going to have to revisit this in a couple of races' time because he said that the mm. the fear is we are going ahead of ourselves and it was, you know, one-hit wonder. But 
I am I am actually really hopeful and it's nice it's nice to move away from the old finger crossing technique of hoping that that <laughs> they you know Williams are going to do right. Oh come on let's all cross our fingers let's hope Williams is all right does all right this time. Maybe if five other teams crash out in front of them they'll get some points. <laughs> that mm. sort of horrendous sort of argument and it just is a real pain. But you know let's imagine it rains. Not obviously not in Saudi Arabia, but later on in the season, if it rains, I think that Williams could be really, really competitive. And these are the moments when I think also we may get uh, an Aston Martin win if it rains because we know yeah. they're quite bold. Mm-hmm. Well, same with Williams. Williams could get some serious, serious points when those opportunities arise. And you can only get those massive, mega, you know, once in a season opportunities if you're vaguely competitive. And it does sound to me like they are vaguely competitive which is brilliant Mm -hmm. it's absolutely it's really it's really you know really nice to know and and i'm a mclaren fan first but i'm a bit of a williams fan second and given that mclaren at the moment is very very much uh not the team that they should be Mm. it's nice to be rooting for a team that looks like it is at least on the surface on the way up yeah, it's crazy to think as well that they've already in one race of 23 scored an eighth of last season's points. Eight. I mean, that is just wow. mad, isn't it, really? And for, for context, those who aren't great at maths, um, they scored eight points last year, but um, very much driving with one drive with respect to Nicholas Satifi, really. It was Albon who was getting pretty much all of the points there when it came to uh, the team and fighting for them as well. But as we say so often, to have two drivers who are competitive, to have a decent strategy to go and have uh, a team principal and team who are willing to think outside of the box that is all you can hope for really for a team like Williams to go and drive themselves up because they're not going to go and pull let's say two seconds out of thin air are they and then get up the grid and be able to go and challenge for let's say P6, P7, P8 on uh, let's say talent alone they need to go and have everything pulling in the right direction for them to go and do that and seemingly looking at this one race in isolation without getting ahead of ourselves then they're uh, going in that direction which is so nice to see harking back maybe to Let's think, hmm, sort of the mid-10s, mid-2010s when yeah. they were granted far better than they are now, but at least competitive in our two drivers who could score points. So, um, good to see, really. And I echo your words there regarding Williams. I mean, I think any Brit that watch, watches Formula 1 has always got a bit of a soft spot for Williams, a team that does things differently and yeah. uh, a team that, um, yeah. Not a just a little family it, name. Well, they, well, they are much, now, really, much. aren't they? Because they're owned by Durrells and Capital, but, you know, that's why we have a soft spot. Exactly. Think of them as the English Haas, if you will. But um, <laughs> even though that, even though they're owned by you, know, you know, uh, New York company. Yeah. But there we go. Uh, <laughs> but yes, very impressed with them, and I think they do look like they're going to go and potentially give a, a hard time to both Haas and AlphaTauri. I thought Haas were very impressive when it came to their qualifying, but when it came to their race pace, it was something different. But surprised nonetheless to go and see Nico Hulkenberg, the uh, the aged competitor, if you will, getting up there and not Kevin Magnussen. Were you surprised by that, Tristan? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. I, that's, I Afterwards, after qualifying, I had to go off and listen to some of the interviews with Magnussen to find out really what happened because mm. on one hand we had that that incredible performance from Nico Hulkenberg and I think also a little bit of out of nowhere I know it might sound a bit diminishing of me to, to say out of nowhere because he is you know talented Formula 1 driver but it is his first qualifying in a very very different car to the ones he, he had been used to driving and to get you know P10 was a really really fantastic qualifying for him and one that Haas I think would have been absolutely uh, satisfied with as well. Magnussen basically just said he he said he had a bit of traffic in the last last couple of corners I looked mm. back at the replay couldn't really see any traffic, not sure he was on about that, everyone has traffic when they have a bad time um, <laughs> why are you late for work today? Uh, traffic, it sounded like that to me mm. um, and then he yeah. said he just couldn't get the car get going so yeah Magnuson was nowhere to be seen, really, which was a bit unusual for him. He said he, you know, he, he, it's just all on him. He knows he needs to be better. It's Magnuson. I'm sure he will be. He had a great rate, um, season last time, uh, and absolutely brilliant from Magnuson. And then, unfortunately, in the race, it, it just didn't really go his way. They just slipped backwards again. We, there wasn't all that much coverage of it during the race no. because Ahas just kept getting overtaken. And Kevin Magnussen ended up in the 13th place and Nick Hulkenberg in 15th. So that's a big drop. He didn't have a very good start, um, Hulkenberg. Just sort of slipped backwards. And then by the time everything is settled out, that was it. 
I, mm. I just I don't think they obviously it's not as good as the incredible beginning of last season but no. I don't know I don't know what to think of Hass at the moment I think they've definitely got a bit of a way to get up to where they were last year but again it's it's the there's not there wasn't as much drama as there was last year last year there were safety cars we had double DNF from Red Bull we had people flying off and going left right and center with the cars that were porpoising around you know this is a very mm. much more run of the mill beginning with you know you know it's run of the mill formula one because a ferrari engine blew up ah it's good to be back yeah. to formula one um so yeah not not that much not many changes really from what we'd expect from Haas. right if i said to you oh Haas has finished in 13th or 15th is that unexpected no i probably go oh, that's not too bad actually yeah okay fair enough exactly that would be the reaction really i wouldn't think of them as points contenders but then again i wouldn't think of them as fighting for the wooden spoon so i think we're in for a not too dissimilar series or season as they did last year really but um yeah it remains to be seen but i think you know i just before we go i think i just wanted to ask you about a certain uh estevan ockham because to me go on then. you know rounding off with i think the the biggest loser of of them all because oh, yeah. i think ockham really made his own life much more difficult than it should have been and i know you might be thinking that's an interesting biggest loser surely that should go for piastri or norris well perhaps but i think i think the biggest loser is potential i think that mclaren was never ever going to be in a really great position ocon on the other hand managed to give himself three penalties throughout Mm. throughout the race just what happened tom Really basic stuff, wasn't it? Speeding in the pit lane, team working too quickly on a part of the car before other penalties had been served, and then Ocon getting on the radio, getting very bratty and going, I've done this all all my life in terms of Formula 1, why am I being penalised now? It's a bit like, well, I don't think that's true, is it really? Because if that were the case, you'd be having more penalties than anybody else ever in Formula 1 over your career and probably wouldn't be in it owing to that, really. So, um, yeah, a really disappointing one because when you see how well Gasly did going from the back of the grid to P9 comparing that to what he did (laughs) if you're team alpine you go yeah why why do we make such basic errors we could have got ourselves a a double points finish there and look at how competitive the midfield is you go "Mm, is that coming back to bite us in the future but i mean it was humiliating wasn't it i think he's now equal the unwanted record of most penalties in a single race which was uh equal by one pasta maldonado yeah. i think in 2015 um read that earlier which um with respect to maldonado a race winner but um maybe not the best uh driver that formula one has ever had the pleasure to produce so um yeah Back to base, I think, for Ocon, slowing down more than he needs to when it comes to pit lane entry. And also, a good stopwatch for the team would be helpful because he can't take all the uh, all the flack for that one, can he now? No, absolutely not. And it was it was something ridiculous, like not 0.01 or 0.1 kilometres an hour over the speed limit. But, hey, mm. this isn't the road. I mean, in the UK, there's a rough rule of 20% plus 2 miles an hour. They don't have that one in Formula mm. 1. It's not 20%, 20% plus, plus 2, it is... 60 kilometers an hour and no more you could do less but no more and other as you say basic areas like aligning your cars it's not on the on the uh in the grid f- formation position correctly come on he should have if he's been doing it all of his life why is he making that error and then he say mm. they need better stopwatches and it's so frustrating because every year i seem to predict that alpine is going to do really really well and they seem mm. to have a car that on its day can fight through the pack as you correctly highlight pierre Pierre gasly managing to fight all the way back up into ninth position from pretty you know middle back ah brilliant Mm. absolutely brilliant and ocon was in the prime position to to fight forward from his original start and do really well and you know we sit here defending him and we defended him last last week saying that he was an underestimated and underrated driver and then the team and him go out their way to try and prove us wrong and fight with mm. McLaren for who can have the worst possible race. If it wasn't for Gasly, I think perhaps we would have said Alpine had the worst race in total. But I think the worst race for a team goes to McLaren. But certainly, I think the worst the, the worst race for a driver goes to Ocon because he made his own life really difficult. Just 
I, I just can't, this is the thing that prevents them from, from getting those big points and, and taking, well, taking advantage of other misfortunes around them. And it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 3 of F1 In Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or elsewhere. We'll be back next week. We'll be discussing more from this Grand Prix and looking forward to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix as well, which is next in the calendar, round two of this 23 race season. A reminder as well, you can follow us on TikTok and Twitter as well, our handle being F1 In Review. We'll be back next week to discuss everything and more in Formula 1 and beyond. See you later.